Good morning and welcome to the last in our preaching series on the life of Joseph. Today our subject is Joseph, a type of Christ. And before I address this specifically, I want to look more broadly at God's unfolding revelation of himself through his son. If we view history as recorded in the Bible, we see that the coming of Jesus is like a pivot point of history. The Old Testament is a preparation for his coming and the New Testament is a fulfilment of his coming. Therefore, it's not surprising that God foretold the coming of Jesus and his plan of salvation many times and in different ways throughout the Old Testament, perhaps most obviously in prophecy. That's why, for example, at Christmas time, as well as reading about the birth of Jesus in the Gospels, we read some of what the prophets hundreds of years before said would happen. It is suggested that there are over 400 prophecies in the Old Testament that point to Jesus. Now Jesus was fully aware of this. He knew that in his life, his death, his resurrection, and even in his coming again at the end of the age, he was and will be fulfilling all that was spoken of the Messiah, that is the Christ in the Old Testament. An example of his self-awareness is that after his uh, resurrection, in his meeting with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, Luke, the Gospel writer, records this in Luke 24. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That must have been a wonderful experience. For those disciples. So what do we mean that Joseph is a type of Christ? As well as prophecy in the Old Testament, there are what are referred to as types or pictures of Christ. That is someone or something in the Old Testament that points to the person and the ministry of Jesus. It may only point to or illustrate one small feature and it may not even be seen in a person. It may be in an object. For example, eight people were saved in Noah's Ark from destruction by the worldwide flood. The Ark is a type of Christ which saves people from destruction. The New Testament talks about believers being in Christ. That's a favourite saying of Paul's. And he tells the Colossians, your life is hidden with Christ in God. That is the safest place in the universe. With Joseph, however, it is in his life from teenager through to being ruler in Egypt that we find parallels with the life of Jesus and elements of the gospel, particularly in the way that he deals with his brothers. There are more chapters in Genesis devoted to Joseph than any other character, more than Abraham, Isaac or Jacob. Perhaps that's because his life so importantly speaks of Jesus. Some commentators uh, identify over 20 ways that Joseph was like Jesus. We'll just touch on a few. Of course, in broad terms, Joseph was clearly a saviour in a time of severe famine, not only for the Egyptians, but also for his whole family. But in more detail, Joseph was loved by his father and even as a teenager God was with him giving him dreams that foretold his future but he needed 
a time of testing and maturity before he could fulfill his destiny. For one thing, he had to come to a place where he was willing to forgive his brothers. Now, of course, we know from the story that he was hated by his brother, stripped of his garments, sold for silver. And then when things seemed to be looking up, he faced sexual temptation at the hand of Potiphar's wife, was falsely accused and abandoned in prison. And in these various situations in Potiphar's house and in prison, it was said of him that the Lord was with him. And people noticed this and gave him responsibility and he proved trustworthy. So what are the parallels with Jesus? Just as Joseph was, Jesus was deeply loved by his father. Even as a 12 year old boy, when he and his family had gone to Jerusalem for the Passover feast and they lost him and then later found him in the temple, to his parents' bewilderment, he said, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? He was aware of that relationship, even as a young boy. Then as a man and during his ministry, twice a voice was heard from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. First at his baptism and second at his transfiguration, we call it, when he took Peter, James and John up the mountain and was glorified in their presence. And like Joseph, Jesus faced temptation. The writer to the Hebrews tells us that Jesus was tempted in every respect as we are, yet without sin. We know that he was severely tempted in the wilderness by the devil after his baptism. But I think it's fair to assume that in those silent years, from the age of 12 until he was 30, Jesus faced all the temptations of childhood, youth and adolescence and manhood. An interesting parallel here that Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, just as Jesus was 30 when he started his ministry. Both Joseph and Jesus were prepared through testing. Jesus was and is God, but he is also man. And in his manhood, he not only had to face and overcome temptation, but to learn obedience, firstly to his parents, and then to his heavenly father, especially in the face of suffering. The writer to the Hebrews says, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. There was a maturing, a preparation for his life's work, which was to die for the sins of the world as our tried and tested human substitute. And then it goes on in Hebrews 4, it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Jesus was hated and rejected by many of his contemporaries, especially his own people, the Jews, and at one time by his own brothers. The Apostle John says he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Jesus was betrayed by Judas for 30 pieces of silver as Joseph was sold into slavery for silver. During the trial of Jesus, false witnesses were brought in to testify against him. Joseph was imprisoned 
based on false charges. Jesus was crucified along with two criminals, two robbers, we're told. Joseph was condemned with two criminals. To one of the robbers, Jesus said, Today you will be with me in paradise. Of the two criminals in prison with Joseph, one was given life, the other was condemned to death. After his trials, Joseph emerged as a man tried and tested and was made ruler with authority over all Egypt and through his governance he saved many lives both in Egypt and beyond. And Jesus, having been tried and tested and obedient unto death, was raised to life and given all authority to save lives through the gospel and says to his disciples in Matthew 28, 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Towards the end of the story of Joseph, we have a picture of how the gospel works. To see this, we need to take a look at why Joseph, having recognised his brothers as soon as they arrived in Egypt, treated them so roughly. In this, we see the importance of repentance and forgiveness. It says in Genesis 42.9 that Joseph remembered his dreams, that he had dreamed of his brothers. I believe he had already forgiven them in his heart, but he wanted to prove to them that they were totally forgiven. Yes, their sin was to be exposed, but for the purpose of being totally forgiven. In other words, he was not playing games with them to hurt them or embarrass them, but to demonstrate that he had fully forgiven them. They had to acknowledge their sin and see that their only hope was the mercy of the governor. He needed to know that they had repented, not for his sake, but for theirs. This process began during the brother's first encounter with Joseph when he had accused them of being spies and demanded that they go and fetch their younger brother. And they say to one another, referring to their treatment of Joseph all those years before in Genesis 42:21, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered him, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy, but you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They didn't know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. They feared that they were facing judgment. And then later, after the cup was found in Benjamin's sack, we read in Genesis 44:14, when Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. I think that the guilt that Judah was referring to was what they had done to young Joseph all those years before, not so much about the cup. 
They had no bargaining power, only their sin. They could now only plead their complete helplessness and their case, um, the case of their grieving father back in Canaan. They were ruined. They were in a corner with nowhere to go. And so it is with us. If we are to be saved, we have to acknowledge that we have no bargaining power with God. So often the thing that keeps people from being saved is their pride, their self-righteousness. It's in the heart of a man to say, there must be something in my life that God can put to my credit. There must be some good that he will recognise. No, but the kindest thing that God can do is to knock these props from under us. We will not fully understand or embrace the good news of the gospel until we accept the bad news. The Holy Spirit is at work in the whole of this process of salvation, and it is he who brings a conviction of sin that we are in mortal danger of judgment. Putting his cup into Benjamin's sack was Joseph's test to see whether the brothers had truly repented. They could have sent Benjamin right back, letting him take the blame, but they came back. They were not going to repeat their old sin. True repentance is having a change of mind that leads to a change of conduct. It is agreeing with God's assessment of us and abandoning any self-righteousness and submitting ourselves to God as Lord and accepting that we now belong to him. As Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6, you are not your own for you were bought with a price. Now Joseph has to convince his brothers who he is and that he has totally forgiven them. And so it is with Jesus. We need to know who he is and that he has totally forgiven us. He has the power and authority to forgive us. And if we have received him as Lord and Saviour, God shows us that he has been at work in our lives to bring us to this point. And now in all things, he works for our good, even the bad things, even the mistakes, for he is sovereign. Joseph says to his brothers, Genesis 45, 7. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. When God forgives us, the debt is paid and he does not want us to live with regrets. He wants us to live in the total freedom of sins forgiven. A demonstration that Joseph had completely forgiven his brothers was that he wanted them to forgive themselves. Genesis 45, 4. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. He wanted them to forgive themselves. And he goes on, for God sent me before you to preserve life. A further demonstration of his love and forgiveness was that he would not expose their sin to others. He sent the Egyptians out of the room as he made himself known to his brothers. For us, if we have truly forgiven someone, we will make it easy for them to forgive themselves. Two ways we do this. 
firstly by not rubbing their nose in their sin and we don't hold it against them for future reference storing up ammunition in case we need it no we let it go completely and secondly we will not expose their sin to others we will not use it as a matter of gossip so now we need to draw to a close joseph a type of christ both Joseph and Jesus show God's redemptive purpose. In the life of Joseph, we see the redemptive purpose of God for saving of many people, including the Jews, as he sovereignly uses the wickedness of Joseph's brothers to fulfill his purposes. In the life of Jesus, we see the redemptive purpose of God for the whole world as he sovereignly uses the wickedness of the Jewish leaders to fulfill his purposes. After Joseph's father, Jacob, had died, his brothers feared that Joseph would hold a grudge against them. But he said to them in Genesis 50, 19, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are this day. And then, regarding Jesus, Peter on the day of Pentecost, preaching to the crowd, says this in Acts 2.23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So here we are at the end of the series. What should our response be as we've looked at the life of Joseph? God may teach us and may have taught us many things from his life, but let me suggest two things. Firstly, our response may be a renewed confidence that God is sovereign over the affairs of mankind, that his plan of salvation, which was to reverse the effects of Adam's sin, was his purpose even before the world was made, and that this plan has been progressively revealed until it found its fulfilment in Jesus, in whom we can know total forgiveness. Secondly, to a world that is full of uncertainty, we can demonstrate our confidence that no matter how bad our circumstances and no matter how bleak our future may look, if we love God and have fellowship with him through faith in his son, we can know that in all things he works for our good and will one day take us home to be with him. That is the glory of the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have revealed to us that you are the God of time and eternity, that you have shown us in your word, the Bible, that it has always been your plan since before you created the world to call a people to yourself through faith in your son, Jesus and that you announce this plan at different times and in different ways so that we may have confidence that you will fulfil 
all that you have promised to be for us in Jesus now as we face difficult times and in the age to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.